Our scripture reading today comes from 1 John 1, 5 through 10. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Over the holidays, my wife and I watched a lot of Christmas movies together. And one of the movies that we ended up watching was Home Alone 2. Now, I'm not sure how many of you have seen this movie, but it is an absolute classic. You know, the basic premise, it kind of goes something like this. There's a young boy, his name's Kevin, and him and his family, they're planning an amazing trip to Florida for the holidays. So everyone is packing away, and they're getting ready for this trip in the house that they're in. And during the night, when they're sleeping, and as they're set to leave, the power goes out in their neighborhood. And the old school alarm clocks that they have get shut off. You know, this is before the days of smartphones where you didn't have to worry about this. So their alarm clocks get shut off, and it means that they're actually late to the airport. And in all the confusion of running through the airport, you know, trying to make their plane, Kevin, the the youngest son, gets off course, and he gets on the wrong plane. Instead of flying to Florida, he ends up in New York City all alone. Now, the rest of the movie, it's great. Uh, You should definitely go watch it if you haven't seen it because it's funny and it's, it's awesome. But the reason I wanted to bring it up this morning is because I think that it illustrates really, really well something that we see happening in 1 John. And that is that if you start in the right place, you'll end in the right place. You see, Kevin, he started in the wrong place, on the wrong plane, and he ended up in the wrong place, in the wrong city. Well, in our text, what John is saying is that if we start in the right place, you know, a correct view of God and who he is, then we'll end up in the right place, the gospel. So that's our big point for today. Uh, When we start at the right place, we end at the right place. And we're going to see this in our text by looking at three things. We're going to look at the start, we're going to look at the deviations, and we're going to look at the right place. The start, the deviations, and the right place. So with that being said, let's look at our first point, the start, and see where it is that John actually wants us to start. Look at verse 5 with me in our text. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. The first thing that John does for his readers is he orients them to a correct starting place, the character of God. 
You see, John actually wants to remind his readers of God's character as the starting place for their proper worship and for a proper understanding of the gospel. And what's really interesting is that John chooses to remind his readers of the attribute of God called his holiness. He wants these Christians to see, to start with, God's holiness. Now, some of you may be thinking to yourself at this point, uh, wait a minute, I, I don't see holiness in this text. You know, I don't see the word holy in there at all. And, and you know what? You'd be right. That word's not in the text. But when we're reminded of what God's holiness means, I think we'll actually begin to see how John is pointing us to it here. In Scripture, the holiness of God describes his separateness from everything else. In particular, it describes his separateness from sin. So knowing that, and then looking back at our text, we begin to see how John is bringing us to God's holiness. Look at verse 5 again with me, and you'll see that John is using a, a really vivid metaphor to actually show us God's holiness here. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. John is using the terms light and darkness to point us to the holiness of God. Now, for the people who are reading this letter, you know, in the ancient world, this imagery would not have been lost on them. In fact, it was very, very common at this time to use the imagery of light and darkness to actually represent good and evil. That was a normal thing. And we get this too. You know, even in our culture, light means good and darkness means bad. I mean, just think about the, the Star Wars movies with me for a minute here. If you're a good guy, right, in the Star Wars universe, you're called a Jedi and you use the light side of the force. And if you're a bad guy, right, you're a Sith and you use the dark side of the force. So we get the imagery of light and darkness, so when, God, uh, when, when John sorry, says that God is light, he's referring to the qualities of God's goodness, his moral purity, his righteousness, and his complete separateness from sin. He even doubles down on this description of God to just make sure that no one gets confused by saying, in him is no darkness at all. Now, in the original Greek here, John is basically saying there is no darkness in God. None, with like a big, fat exclamation point at the end of that sentence. He wants his readers to understand that God is perfect light. He has no taint of sin. None, no imperfection, no evil, nothing. God is perfect. He is holy. He's totally distinct from everything sinful. And this holiness that John is talking about is what he uses as the starting place for Christian belief. John takes his audience back to the reality that God is holy. 
So clearly, John thinks that God's holiness is extremely important. And this should really raise a question for us as we ponder on this text today. Do we think that God's holiness is extremely important? Do we see God as holy, as a perfect God, as completely incapable of associating with sin? Do we think of God as light, as morally pure, as righteous and without defect or fault? Well, if not, maybe we need to take some time and just reflect on what John is actually saying here today. Maybe we need to pause and just pray through this text and think on God's holiness and ask God to just show us His holiness, to show us His light in a new way today. Maybe we need to actually grab our Bibles and flip them open to the back where there's the concordance and look up the word holiness and then read all the verses that we can find on God's holiness and just ponder on them and meditate upon them. Maybe we even just Google, you know, Bible verses on God's holiness, and then we just click on the top result and read the verses there. You know, I've done this. I did it this week, and and I can promise you, you can click on that. You can get a ton of verses on God's holiness, and you can just read them and meditate on them and ponder on God's holiness and reflect on the fact that He is a holy God. Look, the truth is, is that we we don't reflect enough on God's holiness. I don't reflect enough on God's holiness. And we desperately, desperately need to. Because ultimately, when we don't start where John starts, when we start with something other than God's holiness, then we're bound to misunderstand sin which is our second point this morning, the deviations. You see, when we uh, deny John's first claim for us, we're inevitably going to deviate into misunderstandings of sin, which will ultimately destroy us and destroy our fellowship with God and destroy our fellowship with one another. So let's just look at these deviations in our text this morning. Look at verse 6 with me. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. The first misunderstanding of sin that John points us to is continuing to practice it. John here, he's addressing people who are claiming to be Christians, claiming to know Jesus, but continuing to walk in sin. Now, we need to be careful at this point because we need to understand John correctly. I think it's really easy for us to read something like this and think that, oh my gosh, like I'm walking in sin. I'm walking in darkness because, you know, last Monday or something like that, we lied to a coworker, slandered a friend, you know, uh, did something we weren't supposed to do. And so we think, "I'm, I'm walking in darkness. But that's not, that's not what John's talking about. Both the word for darkness and the word for walk make it clear that John is talking about a continual, unrepentant sinfulness. He's talking about the person who's actually made a lifestyle out of sinful behaviors. It's a continual, 
falling away. It's a present reality in someone's life. It's not, not a falling into sin. Not even a falling into sin often, but a continual moving forward in sin without seeing a need to turn away from it. That's, that's what John is talking about here. And when we do this, when we are actively walking in sin like this, our text says that we lie. Our fellowship with God, right? Our, our relationship with Him, it's a sham. It does not exist when we do this. So are you claiming to know God, but walking in darkness? Verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. The second misunderstanding of sin is to deny our sinful nature or our sinful tendencies, to deny what we as Christians actually have called original sin. Now, we know that this is what John is talking about here, because when we look at the historical context of this letter, what we find is that John is actually dealing with a, a number of different people who are teaching lies in the church. And it appears that here he's addressing his opponents who were probably teaching people in the church that, that now that they know Jesus, right, now that they know Christ, now that they're Christians, they, they can't sin anymore. They were saying, you know, we know Christ, therefore our, our sinful nature is completely gone, so no matter how we live, we can't sin. Meaning, basically, you know, we can go on sinning because it's not going to affect our salvation. In other words, these uh, opponents of John, these people coming into the church and telling lies, took this as a license to just continue sinning. They denied that they were sinful, that they had tendencies towards sin, and therefore they just kept on sinning. Now this, this is just self-deception. They're just lying to themselves. In fact, that's what John calls it, right? He says that these teachers deceive themselves. And the truth, the truth of the gospel, the truth of Jesus, is not in them. Now it's easy to think to ourselves that we don't do this. Especially those of us, you know, who've been Christians for a long time. We're just so used to hearing about our sinfulness that we almost kind of just take our sinful tendencies and our sinful nature for granted. But I think we, we need to be cautious here. You know, we live in a culture that just denies any sort of concept of original sin. In fact, the, the basic assumption about human nature in our culture right now is that people are, are born fundamentally good, that people are just more or less kind of inclined toward doing good things. And if they do bad things, right, if somebody does a bad thing, it's some sort of disease or it's a symptom of something that has happened in their life in the past or something like that, but it's not, it's not because they're sinful. It's not because they're broken. And this is the water that we swim in in our workplaces and at our schools and in the stores that we shop at and online and anywhere else we go. People think that other people are generally good people. We think that, that we are generally a good person. 
But the problem with this is that as we swim in the water of a culture which denies sin, it can actually become really easy for us to take our sin less seriously. We start to think, you know, oh, you know, my sin's not that bad. It's not that big of a deal. And next thing you know, we're just walking further and further into sin, a little bit here, a little bit there, and we end up walking in darkness and being removed from the fellowship of God. Our salvation is actually on the line when it comes to these things. We need to take human sinfulness and our sinfulness seriously. Otherwise, it will destroy us. It will deceive us. It will lead us down a path towards sin. The third misunderstanding of sin comes in verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Now this, this for John is the logical conclusion of someone who's denied their sinful tendencies and walks in unrepentant sin. They just begin to straight up deny that they've ever sinned, that they've sinned at all. And this is crazy. This is just crazy. I mean, this is the absolute height of deception because sin, right, evil is just such an obvious thing. We know sin when we sin. We feel it in our heart. We know sin when it happens to us because it hurts. It's just an obvious reality of life. So to deny sin, right, to deny it wouldn't be to just fool ourselves anymore, but John actually says that we make God a liar at this point. You know, to deny sin altogether, to say that we've done nothing sinful ever, is to actually deny God's word. You know, it's to deny the the history of humanity that was recorded for us in Scripture, which is literally covered with examples of human sinfulness from, from front to back. And you know what? We deny our sin, deny our actual sin inadvertently all the time. You know, every time we fall into sin, every time that we, we lie or we cheat or we steal from our workplace, you know, just a little thing here, a little thing there, every time we, we look at something inappropriate on the internet, every time we lash out angrily at someone in our life, you know, a loved one or a family member, uh, and then we attempt to justify our actions, we do this. You know, we basically, in trying to justify our own sin, we say, you know what, I know that God says, thou shalt not, but I shall because, and then just fill in the blank. When we try to justify our sin, we're basically saying, I have not sinned. Meaning that we make God a liar which is blasphemy. 
So these are the three misunderstandings of sin or deviations that result from actually starting in the wrong place. You know, these are the paths that we can go down when we fail to see God as the holy and the perfect and the the amazing God of the universe. We continue in sin, but we claim to follow Jesus. We deny our sinfulness and fool ourselves, or we deny sin altogether and make God a liar. But when we start with God's holiness, you know, when we start where God wants us to start, we end up in the right place, which is our third point tonight, the right place. You see, when we start with God's holiness, when we start by seeing God as light, as pure, morally perfect, you know, without any defect whatsoever, we immediately, immediately recognize our sinfulness and our need for a Savior. You know, we actually get a really good example of uh, this sort of thing happening in an Old Testament story that I just absolutely love. Isaiah, who's a prophet of God, has a vision. And in this vision, he's literally brought into the presence of God. And as, he, and as he's uh, having this vision, you know, he sees angels and he sees these crazy creatures that are called seraphim and just wild stuff. He sees amazing things. And as he looks, right, he looks and he sees there the Lord sitting on his throne. God himself, he sees God. And the angels, they start calling out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. And as they're calling this out, the, the whole room begins to shake, right? The ground underneath Isaiah's feet starts to rumble at God's incomparable glory and holiness. I mean, just picture this scene with me. Just think about how wonderful, how glorious seeing something like this would have been. Just picture, picture the the sheer amazingness of what Isaiah has been invited into here. How should he respond to this? Well, I think that he should rejoice. I think that he should be thankful because, you know, he's been blessed with this wonderful vision that's just amazing. That he should just be amazed at the beauty of God and the glory of him. But that's not what happens. Isaiah is not happy. Look at what Isaiah says after he sees God. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He sees the holy God of the universe. And instead of, you know, rejoicing and being happy and being thankful for what he sees, Isaiah falls on his knees and he pleads for his life. Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a wretched sinner, undeserving of this. I cannot stand in your presence. You see, when we see the holy God, when we see the God of light, we have an immediate recognition of our sin. 
God's holiness exposes the darkness in our lives. It's like taking a a UV light into a hotel room. It exposes the darkness. And this is what happens with our sin when we come before a holy God. It's exposed. And we see our infinite need that we have. You know, the infinite gulf that exists between us and God becomes clear to us. And we recognize that we are lost. We say, woe is me, for I am lost. And we see our need for a Savior. But, and this is a, a, a big but, the God of holiness who confronts us in our sin and challenges our sin, is the same God who came down from heaven, took on human flesh, and gave himself over to death so that we may be saved from our sin. When we come to Jesus Christ and we confess our sins, we are saved from our sins. And two things, two things are done for us when we come to Jesus, when we come to this God for salvation. Look at verse 9 with me in our text. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins, right? If we bring him all of the stuff that we hide in our hearts because we're just too ashamed to let other people see it, He promises to forgive us through the blood of Jesus Christ. Meaning that the penalty that we deserve for sinning against this holy and perfect God, the punishment which is rightly owed to us, it's wiped out. It's gone. It's completely done away with. And if we confess our sins... If we see ourselves as being in the dark and in need of a Savior, He promises to cleanse us from all unrighteousness by the blood of Christ. Meaning that He doesn't just wipe out our sin. He doesn't just wipe out the debt and strike the ledger clean, but He also gives us new hearts and new affections to then turn away from sin and walk in newness of life. He makes us pure and clean before him, and gives us his righteousness. Christ City, this is the gospel. That we have sinned before a perfect God, a God of perfect light. That we deserve physical and spiritual death as a result. That God sent his Son Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, to act as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. That Jesus died on the cross. That the grave could not hold him. And he rose to new life, defeating death. That he has promised, promised, that all who believe in him, confessing their sin before him, will be completely forgiven and cleansed. And that they will be brought 
into a right relationship with God and a right relationship with other people and that they actually dwell with God and with each other for all eternity. This is the gospel. But we don't get here if we start in the wrong place. We don't get here if we have a low view of God's holiness. We don't get here if we misunderstand sin and then deviate from what Scripture says on it. We don't get to the gospel if we start at the wrong place. So start at the right place. Because when we start at the right place, God's holiness, we end at the right place, the gospel. We're going to move into a time of communion together now. Uh, So if you're gathered together in a house church today, we'd encourage you to prepare the elements and then just walk through uh, the liturgy together. And as we take communion today, meditate upon the reality of God's holiness. Think about how he is a God who is perfectly free from sin. How he's righteous and just in every single thing he does. Think about how apart from Jesus, there's an infinite gulf that exists between you and this holy and perfect God. Think about how this God, the God who Paul the Apostle says dwells in unapproachable light, took on human flesh, lived the perfect life, and went to the cross for our sake. Think about how the bread and the wine symbolizes the work of Jesus. Just as we break this bread together, so was Jesus' body broken for you on the cross. And just as we drink this wine together, so was Jesus' blood poured out for you. Think about the suffering that the bread and the wine speak to. But then, then, Think about the victory that the bread and the wine point us to. Think about the salvation that was won for us on the cross. Think about the confidence that we as Christians can have, knowing that if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you, Lord, that you are a holy God, a God who dwells in unapproachable light, perfect, untainted from sin, and completely separate from us in our sin. But thank you, Lord, that you sent your Son, fully God and fully man, to come and die so that we might be brought into a relationship with you, so that gulf between us can be done away with forever. And Lord, we pray that we might confess our sins to you, repent of them, come to believe in your son Jesus, and trust that we are made perfect as we trust in him by the Holy Spirit because of Christ's righteousness being given to us. Father, help us to walk in newness of life by the Spirit, I pray. And Lord, help us to trust in your Son, Jesus, 
for all things. I pray this in your holy name. Amen.